and you have a choice because you have a part of you that's an observing self and a part of you that's an experiencing self. You know, I love this thing, this habit hell that you're talking about. And I think, you know, immediately I'm like, okay, just like as the um, dropping with like, don't fall into the rabbit hole, right? Don't fall into the rabbit or habit hole, yeah. or habit hell. And, right. and that's so, I mean, that's a really good visual for that. And, and what I explain to patients who have had PTSD is like, well, if you, and to explain someone, also a family member trying to understand the person who's going through the, the changes, emotional and otherwise, physical, et cetera, is that when we have, like with, with the brain, when we have a seizure, for example, our neurologist will say, well, you know, we don't see anything organic, et cetera, maybe, probably won't have another seizure, may not. But once they have two seizures, we know that that habit is formed. So that's, that's right. how fast. And we know they're going to have a third seizure and we need to intervene, you know, with... Exactly. And, and well, you don't think of that with an emotional experience, but it's, it's the same, right? Absolutely. I mean, the phenomenon is called kindling and it's a little bit like firewood. You know, you throw one on top of the other, all of a sudden you have an out-of-control situation. So in, when you think about... Um, how neurons behave, you know, if you get, and the, the thing underlying this, the, the fancy term for it is LTP, which is long-term potentiation, which simply means that when your neurons are hit by the same stimulus over and over again, they either release more neurotransmitter or the, tra or, or the chemicals that, that are reaching the other neuron, the other neuron becomes much more sensitive. So, you are in a more vulnerable state where you're getting heightened effects. And, and so that heightened effect makes that pathway the pathway of choice. It becomes the default. It becomes the trench that's already been dug for electrons to flow into rather than find a new way around that. And, you know, I, I was thinking, I wanted to add a comment to one of the things you said, uh, which is sort of a, a generalized sweeping comment, but I think it has some value, which is, uh, when, when you were talking about oxytocin and cortisol, um, you know, if you think about some findings that, that are replicable or, or, you know, that we really believe, oxytocin is associated with relaxation. It is associated with hugging. It is associated with trust. And cortisol, although it's a very complicated story, is often called a stress hormone for a reason. It's because it shoots right up when you're under conditions of extreme stress in certain situations. Now you take those two things, oxytocin and cortisol, and you think about trust versus stress. And then you ask yourself, how many trusting situations do I have in my life? Not only with other people, but with yourself. How true are you being to yourself so that when you're having a conversation like we're having, we're having it with a deep level of truth because we both really believe in what we're talking about. But if I didn't believe any of this and I showed up, I'd probably be able to say the same thing. But I will, I'll feel disconnected within myself. I'll feel like something is off kilter. So ask yourself to what extent you feel like there's an alignment within yourself with what you're doing in your life. And that automatically shifts what's going on in the stress meter. Just by having this kind of congruous life, you can change what's going on in the cortisol level because you're not working in a way that disconnects you from things. You know, you talked about burnout earlier. Burnout is, is really, a, it, it's because of a mismatch between 
what you are and the, the situation that surrounds you. And the more you can fit, even from an evolutionary perspective, the greater the chances are that you will thrive uh, in, your, in your situation. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, um, Srini, it's, I mean, it's so true. It's that sense like what you had said too, that, that you know, where you feel and, and you've seen this happen with our, with our patients, with other people is that, that trench that stuck. I mean, that's really a powerful understanding that, okay, this is a, a neurologic pattern. And then now how do we focus, turn on our flashlight towards the frontal cortex? Yeah. How can we do that to shift this, to turn this around and to keep that? Because I know from myself with chronic PTSD and as much as it was um, triggers on, I mean, there were triggers on a daily basis, you know, living uh, in the home of the trauma or down the street from the hospital of the trauma. And, um, and you know, having those constant triggers and just thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to think myself better. I can think myself through it. And, and yet, you know, three to five hours of sleep a night, um, the constant hypervigilance fear that something else was going to happen to one of my children. And just that, you know, that hypervigilance. And I can't, I don't even, I, I didn't even know that there was any, any other way when I'm in that mode, right? You don't know that you're so hypervigilant and you don't feel it. The triggers, the flashbacks, and you're like, okay, well, you know, how do I keep that from coming into my reality? And, and if I'm living in the situation, you know, or around the situation of the trauma, you know, how do I, how do I also remove that energetic attachment to the, uh, to the place? Yeah. And I think a I lot of that things right there, but you can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, so the briefly, the thing about looking, you know, re reinstating the frontal cortex is really circa. And then a couple of other comments, um, I just want to point out that one of the big issues, which when I first came across this, I was like, oh God, this sounds so not interesting. But the more I looked at the research and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that fear of fear is one of the most important constructs for a reason underlying anxiety. That if you look at anxiety sensitivity or if you look at panic, for example, fear of fear is a huge thing. So you may say, well, you know, what are you talking about? What other option do I have? Like, am I supposed to be like, I love fear? Well, you have to reappraise it. So aside from Circa, two other, you know, well, incorporated in Circa are two huge concepts, which are distraction or refocusing and reappraisal. Now, the brain is what is a resource constraint. There's a certain amount of constraint. You know, it exists in your skull. It's got what it's got, but it's here. But it's dynamically configured. Now, let's say, and you have many more units than this, but let's say for the purposes of definition, you've got 10 attentional units, right? Two for your daughter, two for supermarketing, two for being in this video, two for finishing your work. You know, so you've got 10 attentional units. When you have fear of fear, your attention, all, all those 10 units, eight or nine, suddenly become occupied by fear. All your brain can think about is threat, and your attention is only placed on the threat. That's where the hypervigilance comes from. And so your job, is to peel that back slowly. It's to say, how about I give myself three more units of, att of attention? Because I can't run the rest of my life. You can't go around saying, I'm so dumb, why is my life falling apart? You know, something must be terribly wrong. There is something wrong. What's wrong is that you're not taking care of your attentional centers because your automatic reaction is to fear the fear. So that's why 
ignoring the mental narrative is such an important piece of circa. It's because it is a way of peeling back that relationship with fear. You know, we, all emotions are electrical activations in your brain. And you have a choice because you have a part of you that's an observing self and a part of you that's an experiencing self. And you, this is all one self. But if you can step aside and start to observe yourself and say, oh, that's interesting, I guess, instead of saying, oh my God, I am so freaked out by the situation, you could say, it's interesting. I guess my amygdala is activating. I'm totally freaking out. It's not like you're, you're denying it, but you're actually saying, you know, uh, my brain wiring is such that it's just going crazy. I, I don't know what to do about it. So let me figure out how I can go tap into that wiring and, and change it in a way that I want to change it. Now, I'm imitating this because... I want anyone watching this, anyone listening to you or reading what you're writing to understand that you can actually stop and have a more impersonal look at what's going on because it's not that romantic, but every feeling you have, you know, the sudden love you feel for some amazing human being you see walk by, the beautifulness of your child, you know, the amazing nostalgia of your halcyon days, all of this is electrical activation in your brain. Now, is it just electrical activation? That's up for grabs. I don't think it's just that. But I think it is electrical activation in your brain. And it's activation that you can take a look at. So when you take a look at this, you are not fearing fear anymore. You're observing fear. You're not trying to psych yourself out of the fear. You're not saying, I, don't, I, I should not be afraid. Or I'm bad to be afraid. You're just taking a look at it. And you're saying, wow, check it out. Totally freaking out. And... When you, when you do that, that's step number one in really, in any situation, whether you're, so, you're anxious socially, you know, as you're going to bed, just to say, you know, it's funny, I used to, I used to joke around with people about this. Um, I used to joke around with it as, as, as hangovers being a great learning experience because, you know, that there's that feeling you get sometimes, even if you didn't drink a lot, the next day you're like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. I, I must have done something wrong. Was I inappropriate? Did I say something I shouldn't have? And everybody knows what that feeling's like. Well, you can stop that feeling, right? You can actually stop that feeling by saying, this is my brain generating random narratives about nothing. Like, mm -hmm. done, it's over. And so I want to just convey this, this observational quality because the observational quality is, I think, the route to beginning to get yourself out of this habit hell. You know, you, you basically say, oh, yeah, really, brain, you want to generate these narratives? Guess what? I'm just going to check it out. And, and I'm saying this that casually, but I cannot overemphasize how many studies there are that show how effective this is. I mean, there are tremendous. I, that's one scientific finding. I will, I'll be able to stand on a pedestal and scream out to the world mm -hmm. that just when you have those narratives, become an observer of them rather than just getting immersed and lost in them. It's a huge maneuver. Yeah, no, I can see definitely how helpful and therapeutic that will be. And in just thinking that, just, um, you know, the uh, thought that comes to me is like, uh, let's not follow the past, let's follow the process forward, right? And so it's like, where's our, you know, where is this, like, as the observer for me, okay, well, where is this thought pattern coming from? It's from the past. Well, what's the reality of my present? And what's the process to move forward? And, it, you know, thinking things through that way has been tr 
tremendously therapeutic for me. The other thing, and I think it's part of your circa too, but is, is the technique that I found incredibly helpful was compartmentalization. So for example, in working in my medical office and, and people wanting to, to speak with me or, or thoughts coming into my head about my loss and my grief and, and being able to say, okay, well, you know, uh, from 8 to 8.15 at night, this is when I'm going to think about it. And to allow myself to shift back into the present Absolutely. and not to look back and say, but I'm going to honor those emotions at 8 to 8.15. I felt like that just began. Then it was a weekly scheduled time with myself and emotions and just say, okay, well, that's Sunday at 8 o'clock. You know, and and um, by doing that, I'm just wondering, am I am I – still being therapeutic in doing that and then you know slowly moving away or is it still creating um those trenches i would say if you're gonna set time aside to do that then frame it in terms of resilience mm. not just like look what happened to me but it's kind of amazing that i survived such a horrible thing and that i'm actually moving forward with my life despite that when i think about it those things help me back in x y or z way but what's there's something in me that wants to live, and there's something in me that wants to live, you know, productively or proactively. This episode of the show is sponsored by the Keto Green Shake Mix. The Keto Green Shake Mix is an all-in-one meal replacement shake that will help you with weight loss, give you more energy, help reduce hot flashes, and reduce your struggles with other hormone-related issues. It tastes great and will help you feel full longer. It is plant-based protein with zero grams of sugar and all the vitamins and minerals you need. Find Keto Green Shake Mix at dranna.com and use the code SHOW10 to get 10% off your first order. Thank you for watching this video. Be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel here and get those notifications and comment below. Let me know your thoughts, what you loved and what your action step is.